Open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis chapter 9, right in the beginning. If you're visiting with us, we've been going through Genesis, kind of section by section, and now we're kind of coming to a place where we're going to accelerate the speed that we go through it, because the rest of Genesis is kind of dealing with character sketches. We may spend one more week on Noah and the flood. We spent last week on it. And uh, you know what I was so appreciative to hear? A couple people coming to me, and this is always my intention when I preach. As a matter of fact, a number of people coming to me and saying, from last week's message, saying, you know what, God helped me as I understood how Noah walked alone amongst an unrighteous people. A number of people said it to me this week. And you know what, that is the, the most wonderful thing I could hear. It's not a compliment to me, but that, that the Lord through his word is helping. And so that's what I hope will happen today. And so today we're, we're continuing on in a section dealing with Noah. And we're going to come to a section that you'd say, why would you possibly read those verses? Um, but you're going to see where we're going in a minute. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 9. We're going to read from verse 20 to verse 20, through verse 23. And it, so it says this, Then Noah began farming, and he planted a vineyard. So this is obviously after the flood. Um, and, the, and the flood subsided. Now Noah, verse 20, began farming and planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, which is his son, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth, his other two sons, took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. I'm going to stop right there. I want us to take this story. You know, it's what I love about scripture is that God doesn't sugarcoat things and God doesn't hide the truth. If we were writing something about, you've got to follow my religion, we'd only say good things and victorious things and wonderful things. But God talks about the leader, the guy he uses to save the entire human race, getting drunk in his tent and passing out. You know, God just says the truth about people because he wants us to see we're all carnal, we're all sinful, we all are a mess, and we all need a savior. We all need him. And I want to use this story today as a springboard for talking about a topic that I have felt that, that I need to address here um, for a long time, but it's a topic that I think I, that I've always addressed everywhere that I've pastored in the two other churches that I've pastored over the, you know, the, the 20 years that I've been pastoring. Um, and it's, it's, this, it's from a story here, the story of Noah, who plants a vineyard, gets some wine, uh, puts the wine in wineskins, wine turns into grape juice, turns into wine, the grape juice rather turns into wine. He drinks so much he passes out, and he's so passed out that he lays naked in front of his, his, um, his kids. And what I want to talk about in that, from that story today is I want to talk about to you um, drinking alcohol. And some of you are going to go, oh, no, come to church, I'm going to yell that. No, you're not going to yell that at all. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a hot topic. This is a topic, and you're going to see the topic has been going on forever. And I'm hoping what you find out as we do this today is that you're going to say, well, that's some real rational thinking and some real godly thinking on the topic. And I'm going to say this. If you don't agree with me, it's okay. But I'm going to say, I think we're going to find the heart of God on, on this issue. And I'm going to basically explain this to you. As a person who drank like a fish for years, that's who your pastor is, okay? You know, that was just the family I was raised in, the lifestyle I was raised in. Why I, at one point in my life, chose to stop drinking. And that cho choice to stop drinking was after I had been a Christian for a number of years. How, how did I come to the conclusion, and this is not just my opinion, it's going to be based on the Word of God, how did I come to the conclusion on why I 
choose not to drink. And why I believe the best view that a child of God can have is to choose abstinence in the area of drinking. And I especially want you to understand this today, if you're a parent or a grandparent or or anybody who has influence over other people, which is all of us, that one of the biggest mistakes the church world has made forever is when somebody says, somebody says, don't do that. And they say, why? And this is the answer. Parents, because I, I said so. That is a bad answer. That is a bad answer. When your kids say why, you have a, you have a responsibility to say this is why. Now, I understand. I'm a parent. Sometimes your kids, why, 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 about everything. Not every time they ask why do you have to get into a big, long dissertation and explanation. But there's topics that are, that are hot-button topics. There's topics that, that you need to have a, a firm grasp on God's word and be able to answer why do I believe what I believe? Why do I practice what I practice, because one thing you're going to find out about me that I'm not, I'm not some flaming wild-eyed fundamentalist who's just going to say, do it because I said so. No. You know what? I'm fortunate to have two really good sons. And one of the reasons they're really good kids is because their whole life, Suzanne and I have done our best to explain why. What does God's word have to say about a topic? Because then their understanding, it's not dad's opinion, it's God's, God's opinion on a matter. And I know there can be some fluctuation and some give room on that, but I'm going to explain to you what I believe um, God's heart on this issue is on the topic of drinking. Now, I know some of you already are saying, man, why did I come to church today? I really believe that. You know what? I'm going to just challenge you to do something. Just have an open mind. I'm not going to berate anybody or pound on anybody or make somebody feel like they're this rank sinner if they have a different opinion. I just want you to hear what I believe is God's the best I can explain what I think God's position is on this. You know, but let's start off by understanding this. This debate, to drink or not to drink, you know, that is the question. Has that debate been going on as, you know, as long as man has been around? And we get a glimpse into this debate in the book of First Peter. Grab your Bibles and turn in your New Testaments to the book of First Peter. And we're not going to look at this for the content of the text so much, but more, we're going to look at it for the fact that there's been a debate going on for a long time, and it just shows the debate. So 1 Peter chapter 4, the first five verses, 1 Peter, pretty close to the end of your New Testament, chapter 4, first five verses. It says this, it says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And is it interesting right there? Let's just a little aside here. Um, I was, are you writing your Bibles? I always tell you, write in your Bibles. A while back, I wrote this in my Bible right there. I would underlined lusts of men and will of God, and I wrote this. Notice there's a difference. Just notice there's a difference. He says either you live for the lusts of men or you live for the will of God. Verse 3. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the gen- desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Why did I start with that text? You know, obviously it talks about drunkenness in there, but why did I deal with that? Because it's obvious from this text that 
the Christians whom Peter is writing a letter to. Remember, that's what this is. This is Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing a letter to people that he loves that are trying to mature in their Christian walk. And it's obvious from the content that these people have been feeling some pressure to join in the activities that these other people are doing that they had done in the past. Things their friends had said to them, it says they malign you because you don't participate in the way that you ought to with us. And what things did they participate so much in with anymore? You know, it says they used to have lives filled with sensuality and lusts and drunkenness and carousing and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And in all these things, they are surprised that you do not run with them into those things anymore, into the same excess of dissipation. What dissipation means that you do something um, so much, something that's bad for you, you do it to such an extent that it's harmful to you. And he says they're surprised that you don't do it anymore. They're surprised that you're not getting drunk with Noah, passing out uh, drunk in the tent anymore and laying naked. Remember when I came to Christ, and I got saved, and I stopped drinking in excess at first. I still drank a little, and I'm going to talk about that. Is it all right to drink a little? And I still drank a little, and my friends, who had been my friends forever, they, they thought there was something wrong with me. They were angry with me because I wouldn't go get hammered with them anymore. It's like, Mark, what's wrong with you? They say, you're in a cult. I'm like, you didn't think I was anything wrong with me when I'm getting drunk and driving drunk and running into trees. But you think there's something wrong with me when I'm being safe and healthy and, and uh, living a good life? You know, it's, it's not a new situation. It happened way back here with Peter. They're looking at him, and they're looking at this crowd, and they're, and they're putting some pressure on him saying, you know, why don't you still do these things with us? Why don't you still get drunk with us? Why don't you still party with us? And Peter's explanation to the believers here is that they did these things in the past. He says, the time past was sufficient for you to do those things. The drunkenness and carousing and sensuality and drinking parties. Isn't it funny? The things he specifically points out. It's UW-Madison. You know, it's UW-Lacrosse. It's any place you can imagine. It's, it's not any different. We say we're maturing and changing and people are getting better. No, they're not. We're dealing with the exact same thing that Peter is writing letters about to the church 2,000 years ago. That they're, they're in drinking parties and carousing and sensuality and drunkenness. And he's saying, the time past was already sufficient for you to do that. But now, you as a child of God are supposed to be different. In fact, he reminds them that they were all, every one of us, are going to give an account before God one day. And that's what he says in verse 5, for every action that we do. So Peter chimes in here and basically says... You know, this, this debate's going on. Should I go get a party with my friends or shouldn't I party with my friends? And he says, you know what? The time passed was sufficient for you to do that. Don't do that stuff anymore. So child of God, you're supposed to be different. See, friends, this debate has been going on forever. You know, should Christians drink? Is it all right to have a glass of wine with dinner? These kinds of questions everybody's been asking for thousands of years. Now, as we're going to get into this, I want you to do something. I want to, I want to lay something out here. Because people have been going back and forth about this for a long time, and I'm going I'm to lay out what I think is really an honest biblical position, I want you to, to, to do something to me, with me today. Um, I want you not to check out partway through. I want you not to hear what you want to hear instead of hearing what I'm saying. And I want you to understand something today. Um, I want us to find the heart of God. Because I know that what God says and instructs us is always the best, right? That God's point of view is always the best point of view. And so we want to think about what does the Bible have to say because God wants the best for you and me. What does the Bible have to say about this idea of drinking? Not that what's Mark think, but what's the Bible have to say about it? 
You know, if we're going to listen to the scriptures, friends, on how to get saved, if we're going to believe so much in the scriptures that we're going to take people and we're going to dunk them in public in a tank of water, we surely should take God's word at whatever he says about any topic. So what do we know for certain from the scriptures about drinking? Well, here's the one thing we know for certain about drinking. There's no debate about this if you look in the scriptures. And it's this, that drinking to excess or drunkenness is wrong. Correct? If you've read your Bible at all, throughout Scripture, the Lord makes a point over and over and over to say that drinking to excess is improper. Grab your Bibles and and turn to the book of Proverbs. I challenge you to do this a lot, something I've practiced for years and years. 31 Proverbs, 30, 30, 31 days in a month, read a proverb a day. If you do, you get the wisdom of Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit in these Proverbs. Let's go read a couple, going to Proverbs, because you could flip through all the Proverbs and just get all kinds of comments on drinking. It's interesting. Proverbs is thousands of years older than Peter. And Proverbs is saying the same things as Peter says 2,000 years ago. So this has been something going on forever. You know, issues on what should we do about drinking. If it wasn't an issue, the writers of Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs wouldn't include this in here, right? So verse, chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to read one verse here. And just say, is this true? Wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Now, here's how you would say it in today's, in today's vernaculars. Beer gives me beer muscles, and I like to fight every guy I see in the tavern. Ever been there? I used to get beer muscles. I used to think I was tough when I drink. You know, with all those inhibitions that keep you back normally, and you drink, they go away, and then you're, you're kind of your whatever comes out. So he says wine is a, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. It's fight. You get in fights. And whoever is intoxicated is not wise. Well, does God want us to be wise? Yes. Yeah, so you, you shouldn't get drunk. Flip over a few pages of Proverbs 23. I love this. I, re- I can distinctly remember as doing as a brand new Christian doing my proverb a day, and the first time I read this, and I'm like, the scriptures really understand real life. I can remember reading this the first time. 25 plus years ago, almost 30 years ago now. I can remember reading this text for the first time. Proverbs 23, starting in verse 29. I love this. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Who is it? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Interesting, it's talking about it being tempting for it to you. 32. At the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, your mind will utter perverse things, and you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea. What's that, somebody? That's a smart person? No, it's called somebody who drowns. Or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. That's a big tall mast on a sailing ship. You'd lie down on top. What's going to happen? You're going to fall off and get killed. Verse 35, this is what they say. They struck me, but I did not know it. I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. It's saying, you know what? If you drink, you're unwise. But is it just the Old Testament and Proverbs that says that? No. One verse in the New Testament, there's many, but one verse that just says it so plain you don't even have to debate about it. Ephesians 5:18 says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says here, live God's way, full of the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine. And again, it's dissipation. You do something to excess to your harm. That's what, it, that's what it's talking about there. So, let's think about this. Why would the scriptures say it is wrong to drink to excess? You know, why does God care so much that he would write it in his word? Why would he, why would he say that? Well, we only need to look at the effects of excess of drinking around us that are exactly today the same as the effects were 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. Why is it wrong? Her name is Pam. That's why it's wrong. 1982, I'm in organic chemistry class with a girl named Pam, and in that class we sat in high desks with stools and slate-top things with sinks and Bunsen burners, and she sat right next to me, and she was my lab partner. And it was a Friday night, and me and all my buddies, because back then you could drink when you were 18, and I was 18, and although we drank years before that anyways, I was 18, and me and all my buddies drove up to St. Killian. You know where St. Killian is near Fond du Lac? And it was a bar that would do two things. Number one, they always had bands, so we went there for the bands. Number two, if you were a minor, you could sneak in doing cardio. And so we're up there drinking, and as we're up there drinking, we're waiting for a car, and in that car is a bunch of my friends, and, and one of them is the person next to me, Pam, my lab partner in organic chemistry. And we're up there, and we're drinking, and we're, you know, uh, we'd say we're, you know, we're kicking it up, and we're having a good time, and Pam doesn't show up, and the rest of them don't show up, and, and we find out the next day why. Because they started the party before they got to the bar, and they were drinking, and they're hot, heading up Highway 45 north of Kiwaskum, and they take a corner too fast, and they slide off the road sideways into a telephone pole, and Pam is instantly killed. And another Pam in the car is also killed. And my very best friend's um, future wife, then girlfriend, was in the car, and a couple other people. The driver, who was drunk later, tried to kill himself, tried to stab himself in the chest with the scissors to kill himself in the hospital because he was so full of remorse. And Pam died, who was my lab partner, and another Pam died, who I knew from school. And the next day, on Monday morning, they're supposed to have come met, met us for a good time up in St. Killian in a bar. And the next day, Pam's not there, and I don't have a lab partner anymore. So why is, why is drinking to excess wrong? Number one, because drunkenness kills. You say, why is drinking too much to excess wrong? Because his name is Butch. One year ago yesterday, my friend Butch died. One year ago yesterday. Pastor Paul just left, but I was in Pastor Paul's attic in his house in Milwaukee. And I was helping him do some wiring to get his house ready to sell. And Brett was there helping. And Brett came up to, with, with a cell phone and said, Dad, it's so-and-so on the phone, somebody from Michigan. And he gave me the phone. I'm thinking, why are you calling me in the middle of the day? And it was a Saturday. And I said, hello. And he's crying. And he said, my dad is dead. And I said, what happened? And he said, he drank himself to death. This is Butch's story. Butch has been an alcoholic his entire life. As long as I, I've taken Butch with his son through rehab is more times than I can count. Check him in, he comes out, he starts drinking again. As long as I can remember, Butch was that way. But Butch's story starts way back before that. Butch's story starts off with a kid who just drank a little bit like everybody else and he couldn't handle it for some reason. I don't understand why that happened. Scientists say it might be genetic. I don't know if that's the case. Is it spiritual? Is it genetic? I don't know, but he couldn't, he couldn't stop. And once he started drinking, he couldn't stop, and he would drink, and he would drink, and he would drink. And it cost him, eventually, he got married, and they had three children, a girl and two boys, and, and eventually his wife couldn't take it anymore, his alcoholism. So she got in the car, packed up without telling the boys, and moved to Florida, and left the two boys with dad, who was a drunk. And so the older boy, who was my friend, 
first person I led to Christ in Marquette when we planted a church. He spent his entire life basically being the dad. And their family dynamics were a mess. Well, eventually, when I met him, his 18-year-old his brother died of an illness. Dad was out on the road drinking, doing different things, wasn't even there to take care of his son, and his son died. And he's dealt with, he dealt with his family falling apart the only way he knew how to do it. He just drank more. And a one year ago and one day ago, one year and one day ago, Butch went, and went the day before and said goodbye to all his friends. It's all his family members. They didn't get it. His friend had just died of cancer. They think that's what finally did it. And he bought basically a box full of booze. And he sat in his living room and he drank until he died. His heart stopped. Say, why is drinking to excess wrong? Because drinking kills and drinking, not only that, destroys families. That family's never the same. They've never been the same because of the alcoholism that was in their family. Both my grandparents, my, both my parents' dads were alcoholics. Alcoholic ruins families. It hurts. Why is it wrong? Why is drunkenness wrong? Been drunk, excessively drunk. Why is it wrong? Well, their names are, and you fill in the blank. You know, they're two kids... They have too much to drink on a Friday night after a football game, maybe, and they go too far in the back seat of a car. We used to sing about it. Remember John Cougar Mellencamp? Oh, yeah, life goes on. You know that song? About Jack and Diane in the back seat of a car. That's what it's about, drinking too much and getting in the back seat. Some of you are too young to, to know the song I'm singing. <laughs> but in the 80s, that was popular, right, John? It was. It was. Should I sing the whole song? I don't think so. You know. And they drink too much and, and they, do, they go too far and she ends up pregnant or one of them gets a disease, maybe AIDS. You know, it happens every single day. Every day. There's not a day that goes by that that scenario is not lived out. Why is drinking wrong? Too much drinking wrong? Because alcohol clouds your judgment. Alcohol reduces your inhibitions. That's why you get beer muscles. That's why a person will do what they know they shouldn't do. They'll, they'll go out and they'll, and they'll have sex with that person and they'll get pregnant or they'll get a disease. Reduces inhibition so people do all kinds of things when they're drunk that they would not have done when they're sober. And therefore, drunkenness leads to immorality and immorality leads to heartache. And God does not want us to be filled with heartache. Isn't that true? So, you know, so we don't have to look very hard to say, why would God in his word say excessive drinking is wrong. We just, we, we know it from our life, we know it from the scriptures. Excessive drinking is wrong. But here's the part that we need to focus on today. The part that, that probably was what Peter had to deal with back 2,000 years ago, and probably why the writers of Proverbs included this in here, because we take it a little different angle in the church world sometimes. We say this. Well, what about social drinking? What's wrong with it? This is what I hear this all the time. They never say it this way. They never say what's right with it. They say, what's wrong with a glass of wine with dinner? Or why can't I have a, hot, a cold beer on a hot day? I want you to tell you something. There's not a hot day that goes by that I don't crave to have an ice-cold Miller. You know? Matter of fact, I watch the commercials on TV. They got these new cool bottles. They're like aluminum bottles. I honestly, I look at them and I say, I want to drink a beer out of one of those cold blue bottles. I really, there's not, a, there's not a hot day that goes by that I don't. It's not like I'm craving and dying, but it's like the Proverbs said where it's, you talk about wine in a glass, you know, sparkling. It's kind of like it's a sparkle that says, you know what, you're hot. You just want to drink that beer. And we say, is that all right? Now I want to ask you again. I said it earlier, but I want to ask you again. Before you jump on any one thing I say in the next section of the sermon, I want you to hear me all the way to the end. Because it would be easy for you to just listen to one, one, one sentence, take one sentence and say, see, this is what Pastor Mark really said. No, I want you to hear the whole thing. Because I think you're going to understand 
my heart at the end, and you're going to go, that, this is what I think you're going to say. You say, that makes sense. You've maybe never thought that before. So open up and allow God to challenge and maybe even to change you on this topic today. So what the, you know, let me ask this question first. Does the Bible teach that it is always wrong to drink alcohol? Does the Bible say it's always wrong to drink alcohol? No. It doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say it's always wrong to drink alcohol. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, it says this. It says, you can use alcohol for medicinal purposes. The Apostle Paul was writing to his, to his son in the faith, Timothy, and obviously from the context of the thing, Timothy must have had some kind of stomach problems. And the Apostle Paul writes in the letter. He says, Timothy, stop only drinking water, but drink a little wine for your stomach. He's saying, you know what, you need a little wine for your stomach. Obviously you've got some kind of digestive problems or something. And the, he understood, probably because of their culture, that, that, that drinking that little bit of wine would, would help. Now i got a question. I want you to think about it honestly as we talk about this today. Do people today really drink for this same reason? And you would say, I would say this, maybe, but I would say probably not. Probably not. And here's why. Today we have these incredible things. Anybody ever take Pepsi AC? Anybody heart, have a struggle with heartburn? Every day at supper time, it's a gift from God. I go on the windowsill, I take my Pepsi AC over the counter, I take one little pill, the doctor told me to do it, and I take that little pill, and I sleep like a baby all night. No heartburn. No heartburn. Why is it? it, it the doctor says what it does is it actually shuts off, they call them the pumps. I'm sure they're not little pumps in there. It shuts off the pumps in your stomach that make acid, and I've always had way too much acid in my, in my stomach. And, and uh, so I take a Pepsi AC, and it stops the acid. We got Pepsi, we got Pepto, we got everything. You know, just go to the pharmacy aisle. We got all kinds of stuff in the, in the, the things. Things that probably do a lot better job on helping our stomachs than wine does. But someone, you might be saying, I'm smarter than that, Pastor Mark. I don't take it for my stomach. But, but I've been told that wine is good for my heart. That a glass of wine a day is good for my heart. And you know what? Scientists say it's true. They say a glass of wine a day is good for your heart. But people usually fail to, under, to, to, to quote the rest of those studies. Because you know what the rest of the studies say? They say that Welch's grape juice is just as good for your heart. That the properties that are helping your heart have nothing to do with the alcohol in the wine. That they have, that's all to do with the properties of the grape juice. And that the grape juice does the exact same thing as the wine does. And that's not me. That's scientists that say that. Matter of fact, that's why Welch's puts it on their commercials. Because it has the same properties. It's not the alcohol. It's the grape juice that it somehow helps in your, in your system. And it's the processed grape juice. And, and Welch's grape juice does the same thing. So is someone drinking the wine for the benefit or for the buzz? Or is the benefit they're looking for the buzz? I think the benefit is the buzz. That's just my opinion. See, in our society today, we really don't need alcohol for medicinal purposes because we have other options. That's just the truth. We have, if we're honest, we have other options. My Pepsi every, every day helps me. No. And I thank God that he gave man creative genius to come up with those things so that I can have that, that option. Now, in addition to medicinal uses, does Scripture um, say that we could drink alcohol in any other cases? And the answer is, yes, it does. The Bible says you can, basic principle of the New Testament is you can drink in moderation of the whole Bible. Ephesians 5, the verse we read earlier, did not say do not 
um, get, do not drink. It said do not get drunk. It doesn't say do not drink. It said do not get drunk. And in, and in the qualifications for overseers and deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says that these men must not be addicted to or given to much wine. It doesn't say they can't drink at all. Am I correct about that? I am correct. Do we conclude, therefore, that it's okay for us to drink a little? It's okay for us to have the glass of wine after supper. It's okay for us to have the beer on the cold day. After all, if deacons of the first century were told to not be excessive, can we just take that teaching and and bring it into our own realm today? And my answer would be this. I don't think so. And I'm going to explain why. I think there's a couple of reasons. And I believe these reasons are firmly biblical. And therefore, I think they're correct. The first reason is this, why I don't think because it said that um, that the deacons of the, old, of the first century uh, could, should drink in moderation, that means we should drink in moderation. And this is the reason why. I would say this, if we lived in the first century, I would say it would be okay to drink moderately. But we do not live in the first century or in a place in the world where conditions are similar to the first century. And you say, what's the possible difference? Drinking is drinking. No, it's not. You know what the, you know what the answer is? Technology and choices. That's my answer to the question, and it's this. The reality is that we have many choices that they didn't have. We are not faced with situations where we have no other choice but to drink something that has an alcoholic content to it. But understand something from history, and scholars will tell you this, that was not the situation in the first century when this was written. It was not. They often had no other choice. Think of their world. They, what did they do? They gathered grapes, right? They gathered grapes and they smashed them up and they made juice. And what did they do with the juice? What did they do with it? They made grape juice. What did they do with the grape juice? They put it in wine skins. They, well, we call them wine skins. They put them in skins. There's a reason why they call wine skins. They stored them in animal stomachs, basically, is what they did. And what happened to them when they were stored in that? They began to ferment. They began to gain an alcoholic content. And, 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 then, and so they, they would have it. That's why the skins would expand. That's why they'd use skins because they would expand. The fermenting would cause gases and they would expand. They had to use something that could stretch. You know, the juice that they had fermented and gained an alcoholic content and that's what they drank. And often they had no choice. They didn't have Coke or Pepsi. I went out for pizza last night. I had an Arizona iced tea, raspberry. It was great. I could use one right now. You know, it was wonderful. They didn't have Arizona iced tea, raspberry. They didn't have it. Um, We have choices that they didn't have. And this is where technology comes in. We all have something that they never dreamed of. You know what we have that they never dreamed of? I hear all kinds of things. A refrigerator. We, you see, I'm telling you, this. I honestly, when the Lord showed me this years ago, it made perfect sense. We have something that they never dreamed of. We can refrigerate juices, things we drink, whatever it is, and keep them from fermenting. And we have processes today to, you know how when you get your thing that says refrigerate after opening? They have a process to keep it from, from fermenting in that state. But then as soon as you open it, if you seal it back up and put it in the refrigerator, it will ferment. But we, have, we can put it in the refrigerator and it will stay for a while 
in refrigeration without fermenting. So we have choices to not drink alcohol. In the first century, such technology didn't exist, so there had to be a teaching. A teaching that said, if you're, when you're going to drink something that has alcohol in it, do it in moderation. Since you will not have a choice other than to drink drinks that have some alcohol content in them, be careful and make sure you consume them in moderation. We don't have the same necessity to teach moderation because we have choices they didn't have. So I think it can easily, we can easily choose to choose abstinence. Does that make sense? That make sense? Okay. Now there's another reason. I want you to hang on for this last point. Because this is the last point. And this is really, it's another reason, but it's really the main reason. It's why, if you've ever been in debate, who was ever in, in debate? You always save your, last, your best point for the last, don't you? You give all your points that make your case first. That's what I do in my sermons all the time. You make your case first. This is all true stuff so far, hasn't it been? I'm not twisting anything. But here's the, here's the, the deal sealer. And this is the deal sealer from Scripture on why I believe scriptural position pertaining to drinking should be abstinence. Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 with me. And I know some of you don't like to hear this. Because you're, you've been able to create a system, the same system I had for years, that says, I do this because it's what I really want to do. I really do want to drink a beer out of one of those blue aluminum cans. I want to try it, you know. I just I think it would be really cold, you know. And everybody knows beer's better cold. At least my grandfather wouldn't agree with that, but he was an alcoholic. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read 13 verses. Now hang on as I read this here, because you're going to say, it doesn't even mention drinking. It doesn't. But there's a very clear scriptural principle in this, in this passage, and you could apply it to anything. And understand this as Christians. We want to remember, Pastor Pete, we want to get better. You know, that's what he did, better. You know, as you want to get better, sometimes you've got to face some things inside of you that you just don't really want to face. Because you like the way you're living right now but God might have something better for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. I love that. Basically says, if you think you know it all, you don't know anything. Verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world. She said they're not really real. And that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, notice those are small g, small l, many gods, many lords. He said there's only one God in verse 4, large g. So he said these aren't real gods. Verse 6. Yet for us there is but one God, large G, the Father, from whom all things and we exist for Him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through Him. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as it were sacrificed to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not condemn us to God. We are neither the worse if we do eat it, nor the better if we do eat it. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge he who is weak is ruined." 
and the brother for whose sake Christ died. So why, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when he is weak, you sin against Christ? Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, the particular application here is what? Food, that's what? Sacrifice to idols. Think of their culture 2,000 years ago. There was idol temples. People would take their food to the temple. They would sacrifice to an image and say, now this has got some special inherent properties because it's been sacrificed to an idol for the food. So now if you eat it, you'll get something good out of it. And the scripture is saying there is no benefit because there are no real idols. They're, they're all small g, small l, small god, small lord. They're not even real. And although he says... You know, you may know that's true because you have knowledge. And you may say, oh, I can eat that sacrifice to an idol because it means nothing. And he says, you're correct. It means nothing. He says, but there may be somebody watching. And that person watching might be weaker than you. They may be spiritually weaker. They might have less knowledge than you have. And if they see you eating the meat sacrificed to an idol, they may conclude, I need to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And it makes that small G God into a big G God and they think it's real. And it says by doing that, you ruin your brother. You ruin somebody's faith and their spirituality. So he says you have a responsibility to not cause a weaker person to stumble in their spiritual life. Do you understand? That's what Paul is saying in this text. Do you understand that? Am I clear? Okay. Well, in the case of drinking alcohol, let's make the transition. The idea from the spiritual teaching is that if my freedom to drink in moderation, kind of like going to a temple of an idol... If my freedom, and I am free to drink in moderation, Scripture says so. If my freedom to drink in moderation causes someone else to stumble, then it says I sin by acting selfishly. I'm not acting in love. Folks, your actions affect those around you. And if you drink in moderation, you may be setting someone else up to drink who may not be able to handle it, and they may become enslaved to alcohol. I don't know why my friend Butch could not stop. He would cry and plead and want to stop, and he couldn't, and eventually he drank himself till he died. I don't know why. When I decided to stop, I just poured a beer out and never drank again. Almost, you know, 27, 28 years ago. It was no difficult. It wasn't a hard thing for me. But how do you know if your drinking in moderation may set someone else up to become enslaved by alcohol? Well, you know what? The world says this, and this is where we got to get better. The world says this. Well, that's their own fault. Who cares? I have my rights. How many times as Americans do we hear that? I have my rights. I got my rights. That's my right. Well, guess what? You do have your right. You do. But the scripture says this. This is not so fast. It says, if your actions... It's exercising your rights. Causes another person to stumble, then as a child of God, motivated by love, you should choose to refrain from those actions that may cause other people to stumble. It's for that other person's good. That's what real love is all about. Now, it's easy for me to believe this. You know why it's easy for me to believe this? Because I was raised, remember, drinking all the time. I got a younger brother. He'd been here a number of times. Dean, he's 11 months and three weeks younger than me. Everybody thought we were twins growing up. And I came to Christ before him a number of many years before him. And I remember one Friday night, 
This was, I was, had done one year of Bible college, a school I was at, had problems, so I came back here, moved back in with mom and dad. Well, Dean was still living with mom and dad. So for one school year in college, I went to the University of Wisconsin, and I moved back in my parents' house. And they lived up here in Random Lake. And so I'm in their house. It's a Friday night. Lived in the upper, my brother lived in the upper, upper part of the house, upper apartment. And I've got a Miller Lite in my hand. And it's Friday night, and he's getting ready to go out. And I'm drinking my can of beer. And I said to Dean, and it was nothing loving about it. That was a matter of fact, it was judgmental and snide. You know, so I thought as a Christian I was better. So how I really felt back then. You know, realize now it's the dumbest thing on the planet. I looked down my nose at him and I said, Dean, don't go getting drunk and get in a car accident and get killed tonight. I remember distinctly saying that. Finger and all, that spiritual finger, you know. And as clear as a bell, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. I don't know how the Holy Spirit does that, but it was as real as you talking to me. And he said, if you can have one, why can't he have ten? He said, Mark, you are causing your brother to stumble. It wasn't that this generic, my brother in the church. It was you are causing your flesh and blood brother to stumble. And you know what? Suddenly, I understood this verse that it wasn't just about sacrificing meat to idols. It was about if I exercise my liberties and my rights as a Christian in such a way that it caused a weaker person, and this person, in case a person who wasn't even saved yet, praise the Lord, he is now, but he wasn't even saved yet. If I exercised my rights in front of him in such a way that he saw it, he could justify his actions, and he might just go get drunk and get killed that night in a car accident, just like my friend Pam. And the Lord said, you're causing your brother to stumble. You know what I did? I walked up to the sink, I took my can of beer, and I dumped it down the drain. I've never, had a can, I've never had a drink of alcohol since. I don't even know how many, 25, 27 years ago, something like that. Never had a drink since. Because I wasn't going to be responsible for causing my brother or brother's sisters to stumble. You know what? We do have rights as Christians. But if we exercise our rights, and that action causes someone else to stumble then I'm not acting in love. So guess this is what this is this is mature Christianity right here. You want to grow up in Christ? This is growing up in Christ. It's not jumping and shouting. This is growing up in Christ. I choose to give up my rights in order to be a blessing to someone else. That's what Christian maturity is all about. I choose to give up my rights in order to be a blessing or at least not a stumbling block to someone else. So I've made a choice in my life. I choose to not drink. It's not that I can't drink. People always say to me, oh, so you can't drink? Your religion, you can't drink? I say, I can drink as much as I want. I choose not to. It's a, it's a world of difference. You don't tell your kids, you can't drink. You say, I choose not to drink. Because in my choice to not drink, I am not being a stumbling block to this person who might not be able to control themselves. And maybe if they don't become an alcoholic, they just might drink one too many. And they'll be the Pam who smacks into a telephone pole and gets killed. You know what? I just finished the motorcycle safety class. Got my little motorcycle this year. It's a small one. Keenan and Lila saw me driving yesterday with shorts on and a a helmet and a leather jacket. They were laughing at me. They were in their Harley. And I had a leather jacket and shorts. And socks up to here, and I was coming coming home from praying at the church, and that black helmet. That was pretty good looking, huh? Brett was laughing at me before I left the house. You know what they told me at my motorcycle safety class? Talking about how dangerous motorcycles are, they said almost every accident involves drinking. So who knows that I 
my liberty to do it may give somebody else license even to drink a little. They drink a little and their judgment's impaired and they crash and they burn in a motorcycle accident. I don't know. Parents, how do you know if your social drinking will not lead to alcoholism in your child? And that's hard for me to say because some of you may say, I got a child that's gone that way. I don't know. But how do you know if your social drinking may not cause that to happen? You don't know. So this is the way you wrap it up. In a culture where alcoholism is such a big problem, and we do have so many other options, praise the Lord for refrigerators, I believe it's best that we all choose to not drink. That's what I believe the biblical best position is from the Word of God. Not that I can't. It's that in maturity I choose not to. That makes sense? Let's stand together this morning.